I really believe that the Lord has something for us tonight from his word. I feel the presence of Almighty God. I, I would have been tempted in our own church in times past to have said, let's continue to worship. But God wants to minister something to our hearts tonight. And I hope that you will be blessed. And uh, there are times when there's a lot of shouting, a lot of praising, a lot of jumping up and down. And there are the quiet times in God's house when God just speaks into our hearts and into our minds the words that he wants us to hear. I don't really know what tonight's going to be like. All I know is I do feel the power and the presence of God in this place tonight. If you're a visitor, I say welcome to this family of God. Welcome to this church. You may have some idea that we're all crazy. Well, I thought that many years ago, back in 1971, and I'm still around, so it must be worth something. Amen. I want to preach to you tonight about the foundational building of the New Testament church. And we are the New Testament church. Amen. And I know that we understand that if we've been in the church for a long time or, or even for a few years that the church was built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles and the prophets. And the word of God states quite clearly that the church is not the building that we see around us, but the body of Christ is the building of the church because dwell, God dwells in us. We are the habitation of God. The Holy Ghost dwells in these temples and it wouldn't matter how magnificent a temple we could afford to build. It is nothing to compare to the glory of the Holy Spirit in you, in this temple. It's amazing. We are just dust. We're just clay. We're just bones and flesh and water. And, and yet in this temple, the Almighty God dwells by His Spirit. Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's incomprehensible except when you receive that gift of the Holy Ghost. And then it is joy unspeakable, full of glory. Amen. And I come from a, a background, as many of you know, with no upbringing in the church, no Sunday school, no Bible teaching. But, I, you know, I, I was looking for something in my life. And when Jesus found me, well, it was the most unimaginable thing it's taken me down a pathway of life that is it's just amazing. And uh, it's exciting, full of drama. Sometimes it's like very worrying. There's challenges, but God is always there. Never in my walk with God has God left me alone. And so tonight let us turn to Matthew chapter 9. And verse 35. By this time, Jesus had performed and he had uh, done many miracles. There were things happening, but uh, there was a lot of dissension going on. And 
Jesus, it says, went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and that's their churches, their place of worship, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And as he went and healing every sickness and every disease among the people, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Compassion. The world has many programs today that talk about compassion. We're to have compassion for the homeless. We're to have compassion for the sick, for those that are in other countries in, in war, in the midst of war. But nobody has compassion like Jesus. You know why? Because he can see the sinner and he can see past that and see what you can be in your future. And so he's not judgmental. A lot of people are involved in programs. And it's really not about the compassion to the recipient, but it's about their works and what they're doing. It's about their glory, about what they give, the recognition that is given to them and their organization. But the compassion that comes from Jesus is pure and lovely and it's unending to us. And so he saw the multitudes and, and because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. What a, a wonderful thing it is to have a pastor. It is. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great blessing to have a pastor, to have a shepherd. And so then he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenty, for the laborers are few. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. And we've heard this scripture many times, but I want to open a little more of our understanding about this tonight. He had been looking on the multitudes that followed him with compassion. And then he says these words to his disciples, look about you, just open your eyes. Look and see. Here's the harvest. Here's the harvest. It's plenteous, but the labors are few. And then the next verse we read, when he had called on him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And then he lists their names, and there were 12 of them. And among them, was Judas Iscariot, the one who was going to betray the Lord. So let's think about this for a moment. Jesus is saying to these 12 men, there's a multitude of harvests waiting. And I've got 12 of you, and one of you is going to fail me. The average of one out of 12 as a failure, you know, it kind of makes us think, well, that's not a very good average, is it? If one in every 12 people fail, then it's going to have a big cost. But he was saying to them when he said this, when he said the 12 that Jesus sent forth commanded them saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles or into any city of the Samaritans. Don't go there. It is not their time. That's not your harvest. That's not your harvest because, he said, 
but go you rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So sometimes from this, we have to understand that we think that we're responsible to go and do what we see as the harvest. But Jesus was saying to them, you are going to go, first of all, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is the harvest that you're going to gather in. Twelve men, one would be a failure. And he said to them, pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. His harvest. You see, Israel was God's beloved. And this gospel of the kingdom was going to be preached to them first. And Jesus was making sure he was laying a foundation that the disciples who became the apostles would realize that they were to go to these people first because that's what was decreed. We know that the lost sheep of Israel were many. There were multitudes of Jews. We also understand from the word of God that they weren't very Christian. They weren't, you know, they, they had added burdens to the people. They'd added their own rules, their own laws. They decided that they, they would take control, the leaders. And so they weren't nice people. But then let's go to John chapter six, uh, 10 sorry, and verse 6. And in the context of this, Jesus was uh, speaking to them in a parable. And then he was talking about that the bad shepherd. And uh, Jesus said in verse 7 in this parable, he said, Verily or truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I, Jesus, am the door of the sheep. And all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. And he was talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers and, and all those that were the religious leaders. And he was liking them to thieves and robbers because they weren't obedient to the ways of God. And he said, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And I am the door, and by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. So straight away, Jesus here is laying the foundation that the things of the old law were no longer to be applied. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through him. And so he was putting a building block there. He was starting this foundation of things to come. And he said... If I am the door, and if any man enter in, then he shall be saved, and shall go out in and out and find pasture. For the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. But I am come that they might have life. Life. Not rules, not, not laws, but life. I am come that they might have it more abundantly. And then he said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. 
He that is hired to do this job, he's not a shepherd. He doesn't care. He's, he's not going to go out when there's 99 in the sheepfold and there's one still missing and find that one lost sheep. He's going to say, oh, well, 99's good enough. It's near enough. It's night. I'm not going to go out there now looking for that stupid sheep that's gone down a gully somewhere and got itself tangled up in the bushes. That's what a hireling does. But he says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and known of mine. And as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then in verse 16, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. He was saying to his disciples, There are others that are going to be part of the kingdom of God that are not of this fold. They're not of Israel. They're, they're not part of Israel. They're not Jews. But there are other sheep, and we're those other sheep. Oh, thank God, we're part of the kingdom of God. We're the other sheep. And he said this to them. He said, Them must I bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Oh, one fold and one shepherd. You know, that's a great thing. One boss, one boss in control. You can't have two or three. Confusion. One boss, one shepherd, one fold. Amen. One name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. And so he spoke this. And we know also from this that when Jesus was saying this, that he was putting a building brick there, a building block for the future of the foundation of the church. And uh, as I get a little bit further on, you'll understand that more. But I want to go to John chapter 13 now. And it says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And this takes us to the time when Jesus knew that his time to lay down his life was coming, that it was closing in. And it says that those that were with him, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, it was time. And then Jesus did something which we speak often about. And he took a basin and he filled it with water and he girded himself and he washed the disciples' feet. And uh, he said, you don't understand what I've done. Well, of course, they knew that he washed their feet. But he wasn't talking to them about the physical thing that he had done that time. He was showing them that he was a servant, just as we must serve one another. And humility, what great humility is required to wash another man's feet. He said... If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you this example that you should do as I have done to you. He wasn't necessarily talking about you taking a basin, filling it with water and washing someone's feet. He was talking about the humility that was required. He was our Lord, our Saviour. He was God in flesh. And he's saying, this is humility. He could have asked any of them to do that. But he took it and he washed their feet. This is an example, he said, that you should do as I have done to you. For truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he is sent greater than he that sent him. And if you know these things and you do them, happy are you. You see, Jesus realized that in the future that the disciples were going to use in many ways. And they were going to become powerful men in the kingdom of God. But he was giving them a reminder, don't get above yourself and your place in God. Always have that sense of humility, for we are but a servant, and that we are a servant to others. He said this to the 11 disciples after Judas has left, and these are the words that further down he says, a new commandment I give unto you. A new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you and that you love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Well, that, that sounds fairly, you know, bland. It sounds fairly easy, like they knew each other and, and they got used to being with Jesus and they got used to being with each other and... And now Jesus had gone out and he's saying that you love one another. But Jesus wasn't talking just about that particular time. He was laying a foundation. He was saying in the future, you're going to meet some challenges. You're going to have to love one another in the kingdom of God. You're going to have to love the Gentiles. You're going to have to love those that persecute you. You're going to have to love beyond measure as I have loved you. You see, Jesus was building the foundation of the church and the apostles' minds and hearts, even at that time. He was preparing them for what was to come. And he said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. By this. When he said, go you into all the world and preach the gospel, he had already planted this into their hearts. You're going to have to love beyond measure. It won't be a matter of, well, I'm a Jew and I love my brethren in Israel. You're going to have to love those that are the unlovely. And they had no time for the Samaritans, the Jews. They had no time for the Gentiles. After all, they were God's chosen people. And so there's another block in the building that was being built. And as we see from this, we go and, and we realize that Simon Peter was the first one that was, we, we kind of think that, you know, he was weak and he made some very bad mistakes. But let's be gentle and, and kind to him because he didn't have the Holy Ghost. You see, he was going through a learning experience. 
He didn't have the Spirit of God. He was going, there was a transition happening in his life. And he was going to, to have to face many things. And when Jesus spoke about how that he was going to go to the cross and men were going to crucify him and he was going to die, he also spoke about the resurrection. But, you know, Peter didn't get that. He got the fact that Jesus was saying, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you, Lot. And you're going to be on your own and they're going to crucify me. But he, he didn't really think about the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. You see, sometimes we're like that too. We focus on the negative, the hard part, and, and we miss that little few words at the end when Jesus said, you know, he was going to rise again. He was going to rise again. And so after the time that Jesus was crucified, Peter got together with some of the other disciples and he said, well, you know, I don't know what he said actually, but he probably said something like, well, you know, they'd seen the Lord. The Lord had appeared to them after his resurrection. But somehow he just got a bit like sidetracked and he said, I go fishing. I'm, I'm going back to my old life. I'm going to go fishing. But he didn't go on his own. You see, he took a few more of the disciples with him. And so they went fishing, back to the old lifestyle. And uh, they may have been successful businessmen and fishermen before, but you know what? That day, they were totally, totally at loss. They didn't catch anything. Not a thing. They fished all night. This was their trade. They went out... Fishing, nothing. Morning comes, they see a man standing on the shore and they didn't know it was the Lord. And he calls out to them, he said, children, he said, have you any meat? Have you any fish? And they had to confess, not a one. <laughs> not a one. So you would think, well, you know, that's not very successful, is it? See, it's, there's no point going back to your old life. You know, forget that. Leave that behind. So then he says, well, you know, cast your net on the other side. And they didn't know it was the Lord, but some reason they thought, oh, well, may as well give it a try. Cast the net down, 153 fish. I'd like to go fishing. I'm, I don't really like fishing, but I like eating fish. So the thing is, you know, imagine going fishing all night catching nothing and then some stranger on the shore says, well, throw your line in on the other side and you pull out all these fish. And so to me this was a confirmation that was saying to them, you know, let the Lord be in charge. Let, he, let him be in charge. And so then they went back and they, and they came back to the shore and, and it, it kind of suddenly dawned on one of them that, Hang on a minute, this is Jesus over there on the shore. And there was a fire, and there were coals, and there was bread, and there was fish. And Jesus took and he gave it to his disciples. We don't have to fear where we go when we follow Jesus. He's always going to be there, and he's always going to provide for us. And so Jesus was laying this foundation again to them. And then there came the time when the day of Pentecost was drawing near. 
And there were about 120 in an upper room. Now, when you sit and consider about all the miracles Jesus did and all the people that followed him, multitudes, he fed 5,000, so there's a lot of people. There were people everywhere from the villages. We don't really know how many people Jesus touched during his time of ministry. We have the recorded miracles, but there are many things that happen that, you know, there's just a little glimpse of, of where Jesus went and the things that happened. But there were multitudes, hundreds, thousands, but came Pentecost and there are just 120 in the upper room. Now, if you're an evangelist and you went on an evangelistic campaign and you preached for a whole year, you'd be pretty disappointed, I think, if you preached to thousands and at the end of it all, there was only 120 people that responded to the call to go into that upper room. But that's all right. God's in control. He's in control. And as Peter came and as they were filled with the Holy Ghost and, and then Peter started preaching to the Jews about how they had crucified Jesus and that, you know, as was said, my husband said in his preaching that, you know, the normal thing would have been for the Jews to recognize that they had sinned, that they would go with their sacrifice back to the temple. But no, they said, men and brethren, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is the power of the Holy Ghost, of God working with us and in us and through us. Because Peter's preaching was so anointed and it was a time that God had ordained for the Jews to come into this new and living way, to be set free from the old and to have life more abundantly with Christ. And so God's building his church. He's laying the foundation. Then there comes persecution. And is that the thing that we don't want? You know, we sing a lot of choruses of happy days. Since Jesus took my sins away. Oh, happy day. Praise the Lord, I'm so happy today. Joy, joy, joy. I've got joy down in my heart. You know, we sing all those songs. And uh, he does give us joy. But the joy that he gives us is something we need to carry us through the hard times. That we can continue to rejoice in God. That no matter what our circumstance, no matter what trial we go through, no matter what's happening in the world around about us, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, it lifts us up into heavenly places with Christ. It helps us to have a true perspective on what's happening around about us because our hope is not in this world, church. My hope is not in what's going on in this world. My hope is in the fact that one day Jesus is going to come and he's going to take the church out of here and I'm going to go to be with him. I'm going to see face to face the one who died for me on Calvary. I'm going to go to that place where there, you know, it's no more. I'm going to be with the saints of God. And when the angels sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Oh, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. Amen. Then, you know, so here's Peter. 
And then there's persecution. And Saul came persecuting the church. And he was responsible for the death of many women, men, women, children, people put in prison. And he was zealous because he believed that he was serving God. And so we, we can, you know, read all this in the book of Acts. And uh, Peter was to face a great challenge now. Mm, it wasn't so hard to preach to the Jews, really, because he was one of them. Even though he's different now, he was still one of them. And uh, in Acts chapter 8, This is after Stephen's death and uh, the stoning. And, uh, you know, in the beginning of chapter 8, it talks about Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which is Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad. The church was broken up and throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Important to read the last line, the last few words. And so the apostles were still together. And they buried Stephen and they, you know, things were going on. And uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees and there was people trying to, to, you know, destroy the church. That's all was determined. He was going to wipe out this, this Jesus name lot. He was going to wipe them out. He wasn't going to have them around because he believed that they were not serving God as they ought. And... What happened? Verse 4, chapter 8. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went home and sulked. Cried. Woe is us. Why is this happening? We can't bear it. No, that's not what it says. And it says in verse 4, And they went everywhere preaching the word. You know, when things get hard, when there's trials, when there's things going wrong in your life, get up, go out, and start preaching the Word of God. Start testifying of the goodness of God. Start telling people about salvation. Because that's how you're going to beat the devil. You're going to be victorious when you get up and you go out and you do something for God. And so Philip went down to Samaria. Now remember they were told not to go to the Samaritans and they were not to go to the Gentiles. But now it was the time. God's timing is always perfect. Always. And so Philip, he went, he was an evangelist, he went down to Samaria and he preached Christ unto him, unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed to them. And seeing the miracles he did, Unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with devils. You know, I have been praying. I've been saying to God recently, Lord, I want to be in the place where I see unclean spirits coming out of people in the churches. Oh, I've seen it. It has happened. But it doesn't happen very often. And yet look out into the world at the state of the world, and look at people and, you know, with discernment, you, if you look hard enough with spiritual eyes, there are a lot of possessed people walking our streets. 
And so they were taken with palsy, they were lame, and they were healed, and there was great joy in that city. And so it was the time. God's time to start stirring and to keep building the kingdom of God. And so they added to them. Now, Paul's, Saul's conversion to Paul, well, this is where it comes in what Jesus said about loving one another. You stop and think with me for a moment about what Saul did to the church. I mean, he had people killed. He had people put into prison. And it wasn't just the men. It wasn't just the preachers. It was men, women, children. He set out to totally destroy the church. And here he is, a converted man. In the natural, most people would say, how could I ever forgive somebody who did that to my family? How could I forgive somebody who took my mother and my sister and my brother and their children and had them thrown into prison and some of them even put to death? You see, the foundation had been laid and it was that we have to come to the place where we have to accept that the work of God is possible that a man's soul can be delivered from his past sins and be converted and we have to love them. We don't love the past of the sinner but you know they had to love him. And there were people who at first they did not want to accept. Paul, who is he to come preaching to us about love? Who is he to come and teach us about the ways of Christ. He was the enemy. But God had already established in their hearts that when he went up, and he went up to the apostles, and, he, and the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, and then when Saul, they started to rejoice. And, you know, we have to sometimes look on the harvest, and we have to stop thinking about, Oh, they're too hard to save. This city's too hard to reach. These people, well, you know, they have too many traditions. You know, the Jews had multitudes of traditions. But today, we can stand and we can read the Word of God and see how wonderfully many of them were converted. It's not impossible, church. For those who we think are wrapped in their traditions of their churches and that are not saved, they can be saved. They can be saved. Oh, I feel in the Spirit of God tonight that we need to look on the harvest with different eyes and we need to see that all along God has been in control. He brought in the Jews into the church and made them into mighty preachers of the Word of God to establish the kingdom of God. Then he brought in those that were persecuting the church and they were saved. And look what the Apostle Paul had. His ministry was to the Gentiles. He went to the Jews and he said, Oh no, well you don't want me, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And God opens the doors, but we have to walk through them. 
You know, I, I don't believe in praying for the butcher. God opened the door. He opens the doors before we even get there many times. But we have to be prepared to go through the open door. We have to go out of our comfort zone and we have to realize that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's with us wherever we go. But Peter, you know, he had a great big challenge to face. And this is part of um, my favorite part of the book of Acts. In, you know, Peter, he was a Jew and he was right in one sense that he didn't really want to mix with the uh, Gentiles. You know. He didn't want to mix with them. He was obeying the law. But you see, he had the Holy Ghost now. He, he was a different person. He was under a new covenant. And, and so there was this man who uh, God saw and, you know, he, um, he was a devout man. And he feared God with all his house and he gave much money to the people and he prayed to God always. There are people like that outside these doors tonight. But they haven't quite reached the right perfective place where they need to be. They have a love for God. They have an experience with God. His name was Cornelius. And the thing was that, you know, Peter, he didn't really want to go there to that man's house because he put up a barrier from his traditions of the past and, he, and you know God is, is amazing merciful because he dealt with Peter in such a way when he you know saw the sheet come down and when Jesus said to him what is what, you know don't call unclean what I, I have cleansed and God had to speak to him about this. But you see, this was part of the result of the fact that Jesus had said, back there then, you have to love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. God wanted Peter to go to Cornelius' house. He didn't want somebody else. He wanted Peter to go to the house of Cornelius. And he wanted Peter to realize something. And when this vision of God came to Cornelius and he sent men to go to get Peter, as he was instructed, and uh, Peter was uh, in this house by the seaside and, and, you know, the angel came, told him what was going on. And when he saw this sheet, this vessel, coming down from heaven, and he realized that all those things were in it. When the voice said to him, to Peter, Peter, rise and kill and eat, he said, oh, no, Lord. <laughs> oh, God, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's against my tradition. That's against my teaching. That's against what I believe in. I have never, he said, eaten anything that is common or unclean. Many things were forbidden to the Jews. And the voice spoke to him a second time and said, What God has cleansed, call not thou common. And this was done three times. And then the vessel went up into heaven. And Peter started to think, Oh, what sort of vision is this? What sort of dream is this? You know? 
This just doesn't seem quite right to me. And he, and he doubted about it. But then the men that were sent from Cornelius came. And Peter thought about the vision. And then the Spirit spoke unto him. Oh, I've had the Spirit of God speak unto me. You know, I have had times when I have really been seeking God for something. And God has, through the Word, through the preacher, through a testimony, God, the Spirit of God, spoken to me and put something into my heart that I know and that that's what God has wanted in my life. We need that experience more and more. You know, and a general conference is coming up and what does it say? Take me deeper. Take me deeper in you, Jesus. Take me deeper. I want to go deeper with him. I want my experience to expand, to know the voice of God and his will. And Peter, you know, he, when he heard the voice and said, and it said, get up, Peter, go with these men and, and don't doubt nothing for I have sent you. Oh, God's in control. He's in control. Now, this should be happening to us. We should be hearing sometimes when God specifically speaks to us to go to a person and tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know it happens. And I know that there are people that sometimes we look on the outward appearance of man and we think, no, they're never going to be saved because of what they're like. But inside there's a crying heart. There's somebody's lost. There's somebody who needs to hear the words of life from you. Because we can't be caught up in all this abundant life for ourselves. We have an obligation to share it, to let it flow through us, flow out to us. For otherwise, the whole purpose of establishing the church is wasted. And so Peter went down and uh, when they came, and you know, Cornelius, he was a just man. He feared God and he had a good report. And uh, then they came and Cornelius was waiting with his, all his household and his friends. And, and, Jesus, and when Peter came in, Cornelius fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Well, thank God Peter got this right because he said, get, you know, get up, get up. I'm just a man. You don't worship me. Get up. Now, there's a lot of, a lot of people today, a lot of preachers in the world that are going around, oh, I'm the great man of God. I'm the great woman of God. Amen. They, they want your worship. Your worship, my worship belongs to Jesus Christ and him alone. And so he said, get up, Peter. And he said, you know. So it goes on. But the, the end of the story is this, that while Peter spoke to them, when he said that, you know, that I, of a truth I, I perceive, I understand, God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. And so it gets to the point where Peter was preaching to them. And he said to him, give all the prophets witness that through his name, that is the, through the name of Jesus, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them and heard the word. This is the, the building block, the prophecy that was coming to pass. And they have this, the circumcision of the Jews were astonished because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
This is one of the most amazing, greatest happenings, I believe, in the whole world. That God brought the Gentiles unto himself. That he poured out the Holy Ghost. That he filled them with his spirit. That they were received into the body of Christ. All the world talks about great events, but this was a great event. And so... As many as, and, the, and then they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. And then Peter said, Can any man forbid water that they should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them. He didn't say to him, Oh, if you feel like it, or we'll make an appointment in a month's time when we have our baptismal service, or, uh, you know, whenever it suits you. He commanded them to be baptized. In the name of the Lord. We sometimes um, don't want to offend people, <laughs> do we? We don't, we don't want to offend people. Sometimes we're too nice. We're too nice. And I, I really believe tonight that sometimes we have to let the power of the Holy Ghost rise up in us and we have to speak boldly about these things. That in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you can have your sins washed away. Oh, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. There's no other name, no other name. That you can come to God and you can say to him, Lord, give me the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he will pour his spirit into you. The greatest thing. And so we know that the challenges that the church was to face, and if you go through the epistles, there's many times where it talks about the Gentiles, the Gentiles, how they were to be dealt with and the things they were to do. But I want tonight to reassure you, God has built his church on a sure foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles and the prophets. And we belong to that New Testament church. We have the power of the Holy Ghost. We have that spirit of God in these bodies, in these temples. And you know, there's nothing that he will withhold from us if we will walk with him. We put our trust in him. If we lean on him. If we look unto him as the author and the finisher of our faith. There are people today that are preaching messages saying, we need a new Bible. We, we need a new translation, Brother Butcher. We need a new version. I mean, there's plenty of so-called versions out there now. I mean, working women can have their own Bible and it's all condensed down so that the five minutes they've got to spend reading the Word in a day, that's their, you know, that's their Bible. But there are people who are trying to say, oh, throw out the old, we need the new. No. We're never going to throw this out. This is our sure foundation. Amen? This is the word of God, and we rejoice in the power and the presence of Almighty God in our lives. God bless you. Thank you for listening to me tonight, and I hope that as you go 